Welcome to Change Now. Yes, because we need to change now. Now is when your impact story starts. Listen, get inspired by visionary change makers, and be part of the change. Connecting to our deep consciousness and using the power of imagination are vital in driving systemic change. In this episode, let's discover how to make emerging futures a reality with Rob Hopkins, author of From What Is to What If and champion of the collective imagination. So I'm going to uh, talk about imagination and I'm going to talk a little about the future. The Institute for the Future in Palo Alto, on their window it says, any useful statement about the future should at first seem ridiculous. I feel like as a movement of people who are trying to change the world in this tiny amount of time that we have, we're much too nervous about being ridiculous. I'm really here to urge you all, please, in the work you do, to be much more ridiculous, to be as ridiculous as you can. The idea that we're still going to change things with small little incremental steps is just absurd. What any idea that people come up with that doesn't seem at least a bit ridiculous is, way, is not ambitious enough at all. Recently, the United Nations published a report where they said any chance of staying below one and a half degrees is over unless we see what they called a rapid transformation of society. So all the newspaper headlines and magazine covers went with headlines like this. 1.5 is finished. Say goodbye to 1.5. Nobody said, why don't we do that rapid transformation of society thing? <clears throat> why do we find it so much easier to make a headline like that than to say, let's have a rapid transformation of society. That would be really cool. It's not like it's working amazingly well at the moment uh, as it is already. So I'm uh, here to share with you something very exciting that's happening in my town where I come from. Uh, inspired by this, a T-shirt I saw a young woman wearing at the Black Lives Matter protest in Washington. I've been to the future. We won. Gave me goosebumps. Made me think, how different would our activism be if we worked like that, if we spoke like that. So in my town, uh, not many people know about... Oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. This is an amazing woman called Rashida Phillips. She runs a project called Black Quantum Futurism. She works by day as a lawyer advising people in her city who are being kicked out of their homes because of gentrification. And at night, she runs this thing called Black Quantum Futurism where she uses time travel as a kind of radical activism. She doesn't gather people's oral histories. She gathers people's oral futures. And she says, in, in the West, we talk about time as a linear process. We go past, present, future. She says, in African understandings of time, traditional understandings, it's more like a wheel. And we're in the middle. And from that place, we can access many different futures, many different future outcomes and future scenarios. And so, as I said, in my town, we are, uh, we are developing, we have in fact developed the first fully functioning time machine in the world. Ooh, ooh. Ah, you're too kind, thank you. And, uh, and with our time machine, we regularly travel together to 2030, but it's not, but it's a 2030, it's not a utopia, it's not a dystopia, it's the 2030 that resulted from us doing absolutely everything we possibly could have done. It was the most exhilarating time to be alive. So I want to tell you about a recent trip that we took 
to 2030, you might like to think of me as the, the Marco Polo of the climate movement, here to tell you an extraordinary tale of that 2030. And we started here in this street. We programmed our time machine for 2030. We pressed go, and then when we opened the door again, this was the place that we stepped out into. It was, the air smelt amazing. The birdsong was so much louder. There was a much stronger sense that of hope and possibility, people could see the world around them starting to change. And my friends, the bicycle rush hours of 2030, I almost don't have enough words for how extraordinary the bicycle rush hours of 2030 were. Now, when you go into a big city like Paris, you don't see those big signs that tell you where all the car parking spaces and how many empty spaces there are. You have that for bicycles. For some reason, in Paris, all the street signs are now in Dutch. <laughs> Something very strange happened in 2026 that nobody wanted to talk to me about. But anyway, so all the underground car parks have now been, because we don't need them for cars anymore, they're repurposed for bicycles, full of thousands and thousands of bicycles, because we realized that for every million euros we spent on, on, on bicycle infrastructure, it saved us 38 million euros off the national health budget. So the economics change, and cycling just became the completely normal thing because we built the infrastructure. One of the things that I love to see was that now in 2030, when we build new buildings, we hardly use concrete at all anymore because in 2023, it was responsible for 9% of carbon emissions. Now when we build, we build using materials from where we are. We build using materials from the region we visited, this building built using entirely structural timber. If you stood on the top of here, you could see where those trees came from. Straw bale insulation in the walls, clay plasters, beautiful natural homes, very easy to keep warm in, but they, but they created a whole new economy of local building materials. Everywhere we went, we saw people mobilizing to close the streets that they live in. This a few years ago, had been full of cars, it had looked like that. People were very proud to show us this picture. This is what it looked like back in those days of 2023. This is what it looks like now. And now in 2030, one of the biggest growth industries we see is taking up tarmac, taking up concrete. Because people realized in that hot summer of 2022 that concrete and tarmac above 36, 37 degrees kill people. And we had to get rid of it. And it led to cities that were so much more the air was fresher and, and, and so much more diversity in those places. So when we look back from 2030, back to 2023, what were the things that we could already see happening that were the beginnings of this? People had started to draw the future. This is a man called James Mackay, his beautiful drawings of the future that started to create longing. And for me, one of the things we don't talk about anywhere near enough in the work we do is around longing. Don DeLillo, in his book, The Underworld, said, un uh, said, longing on a large scale is what makes history. Longing on a large scale is what makes history. The work that we do has to cultivate longing. I said to somebody the other day, if the fifth Harry Potter book had been called Harry Potter and the Race to Net Zero, I don't think it would have done very well. It's not a very exciting story, is it? Actually, we need, we need to have a much more exciting things to run towards. This is another of his pictures, which is just beautiful. Extinction Rebellion in 2019 closed Waterloo Bridge for a week. They turned it into a forest. 
I call this a pop-up tomorrow. How do you take a place that people know really well and give people a taste of how the future could be in 2023? Recently, a group of activists rewilded Trafalgar Square for a day. How can you take places that people know really well and give them that kind of uh, taste? And the transition movement, which I'm one of the people who's involved with that, which you can find in thousands of places, 50 countries, many places here in France as well, is the people who are just getting on with it, just starting now, planting the trees like this incredible transition group who've planted food forests all around their town. It's people who are just not waiting for permission, just starting to create that future in such a way that people can see it and experience it. Anyway, meanwhile, back in 2030, we visited this amazing place, this completely car-free place. Now many cities are just redesigning themselves, so there's no, room, there's no need for cars at all. The most amazing, beautiful place, so many bicycles, trees, the air was amazing. What I want to share with you is that one of the reasons that we like to travel to 2030 is to make recordings of what it sounds like. So we can bring those recordings back to 2023 and play them to people. We call it field recordings from the future. So I want to play you a little one-minute clip of what this area sounded like. You might like to close your eyes and imagine that you're in the Paris of 2030 with amazing trams, with bicycles, with birds and trees. And this is an actual recording from 2030. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, a little bit more excitement. This is an actual recording from... From 2030, how often does that happen? Okay, so you might like to close your eyes, and this is what it sounded like. Poet Rilke once said, the future must enter into you a long time before it happens. And I think we need to we find all the creative ways that we can do that. The other thing we saw in Paris now, many, many of what were underground car parks are now filled with mushrooms being produced for food, for medicines, for replacements, for leather. It's been a huge explosion. This was a place that we went to visit where the, a school that had been designed by the kids the kids had been involved in designing their own school. And as it turns out, when you ask children to design their own school, they like to have a rainforest in the middle of the school. One of the things that we found as well was that by 2030, we had developed the humility to realize that beavers were much better hydrological engineers than human beings. And so all the uplands have now been left to beavers who have restored a huge explosion in biodiversity, huge amounts of water stored. Democracy is now much more uh, based around citizens' assemblies for all big decisions are made using citizens' assemblies at all the different scales. 
Uh, most cities now have a civic imagination office, a place that facilitates people to come together and be really imaginative in how they vision uh, the future. This was a place that we visited where the, where the municipality had bought this land to create a food garden to produce all the food for all the schools in this place. Now, 80% of all the food eaten in the schools comes from this garden, and uh, they found that it led to a huge change in the culture of the kids, of the families, uh, and this model has now spread everywhere. Sodexo went out of business in 2027, because this new, uh, the year after Total, and uh, because this was the new model that was needed, and it just spread everywhere like wildfire. One of the places that had really kicked this off was Liège in Belgium, who in 2014 had the question, what if in a generation's time the majority of food eaten in Liège came from, came from the land closest to Liège? By 2018, they'd already raised 5 million euros from local people and started 27 cooperatives. By 2030, this model had now spread absolutely everywhere, became the new normal. And the renewable energy that was needed, more than half of it was in community ownership. So the communities owned from it, the communities benefited from it, and everywhere we went, there was that sense of excitement and delight about what's happening. Of course, to step back into 2023 for a minute, as William Gibson said, the future's already here, it's just not evenly distributed. Everything that we need to know, we're not waiting for anything. All of these things already exist. This is in Amsterdam, Utrecht, uh, uh, Geneva, Rotterdam, uh, uh, Grenoble, which is not an easy thing for an English person to say, Madrid, uh, Lausanne in Switzerland, uh, Freiburg in Germany, Paris, uh, Bologna, and I didn't even tell you those stories, Montsartu near Nice, Liège, everything is already there that we need. So just to say, just to finish off, what I do in my work is around this question of how do we cultivate longing? How do we find those ways that help people to step into that future in such a way that it creates a new North Star for them? One way is through comics. This is I'm starting to work with an amazing Belgian cartoonist to create a comic book about our adventures to 2030. Uh, I'm doing this music project where we're making music that uses these field recordings from the future as a really immersive thing. How do we use music to create nostalgia for the future? So I think I've run out of time to tell you that story. But... Uh, um, so I'm just going to say thank you very much. It's been beautiful traveling to 2030 with you. And uh, power to the imagination.